welcome to tonight's webinar. And we are super excited to welcome Dr. Ravi Chandra. This is the second uh, live event, live webinar in a series of events that NAP National is hosting this month in honor of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. And tonight, it, it, our live event is sponsored by Self-Care and Wellness by NAP, which is the mental health program of NAP National. And of course, I always like to point out, May also happens to be Mental Health Awareness Month. And uh, I think what better way of highlighting mental health would be Dr. Ravi Chandra, who also happens to be part of our Speakers Bureau. So I like to do a formal introduction. Let me get this little intro up so I do it right to really introduce our awesome speaker tonight. He is a psychiatrist and writer in San Francisco, not in Cisco, San Francisco, <laughs> a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. So he has his first non, uh, first full-length nonfiction debut called Face Buddha, Transcendence in the Age of Social Networks, and it won the 2017 Nautilus Silver Book Award, super cool, for Religion, Spirituality of Eastern Thought. I'm going to have to read that. He is also the founder of SF Love Dojo, an organization teaching compassion and self-compassion. And that is what we're going to probably start off talking about. But that's the short version, just so you know, because I want Dr. Ravi to talk about all he can talk about today in the next, let's say, 45 minutes to 50 minutes. And uh, welcome. And we'll get started. Thank you, Dr. Chandra, for being here. Okay. Thank you, Jeannie. And, and welcome to everyone. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you uh, to the whole board of NAP for inviting me. And uh, let me just go ahead and share my screen now uh, for you. Okay. All right. So uh, the first uh, uh, section of this uh, uh, evening event is going to be talking about self-compassion and compassion, and particularly gearing it towards in the latter part of this uh, opening talk uh, to the issues for Asian Americans during covid uh, and, uh, and I'll also have a couple of brief meditations during this time, and we'll have time for breakout room and for question and answer as well. So, um, so compassion is how we do human. Uh, caring for others is literally what we do best, despite glaring examples to the contrary and tragic shortcomings. We care for children, family, tribe, and community, and networks of caring strengthen us. In the upper left-hand corner is a 4,000-year-old skeleton uh, from northern Vietnam. And this is uh, a skeleton of a young man who, uh, who was disabled uh, and eventually could not use his hands, arm, his arms or uh, legs, and he could not feed himself. But he was cared for by his community and family for at least 10 years before he died. So clearly, um, com compassion and caring for our community members is part of what we've done for uh, a, a long time. And we have evidence of healthcare going back 1.6 million years, but it probably goes back even further than this. Uh, and of course, Neanderthals and other early humans also provided early health uh, healthcare. Uh, the provision and receipt of healthcare represents some of the most fundamental aspects of a culture, something which we can think about right now. I like to say healthcare is the world's oldest profession. Uh, and compassion is central to our social being, and our social being is central to our identity. Uh, the Dalai Lama said, at the most fundamental level, our nature is compassionate. Cooperation, not conflict, lies at the heart of the basic principles that govern our human existence. 
An Ubuntu proverb from Africa says, people become people through other people. And I've, I've written, we are who happens to us and what we make of the happening. Psychiatrist John Bowlby said, there's no such thing as a baby. There is a baby and someone. We are always born in relationship and compassion is foundational to all relationships, including the relationship to ourselves. So caring for others essentially comes natural, even though it needs cultivation, but caring for ourselves and our inner lives is more challenging. We don't care for ourselves as well as we care for others. 78% of respondents in the U.S. say they are more compassionate to others when they suffer than they are to themselves when they suffer. Now, this is not broken down by ethnicity, so, uh, so that may vary. Uh, Self-compassion and compassion for others helps us cope with difficult emotions and situations. It builds resilience, prevents burnout, improves depression, anxiety, and stress, and also physical health. Um, and and self-compassion, mindful self-compassion in particular, uh, has been backed by over 1,200 research articles to date. So the basic principle of self-compassion, mindful self-compassion, is how would I treat a dear friend going through this? What would I say? What would be my tone of voice? What gestures, body language, or touch would I use? And typically people are good at doing this for other people, for their dear friends, but they're not uh, particularly good at the self-talk. And so that's what mindful self-compassion is about. Um, so, uh, you know, so, so here are the foundational principles of mindful self-compassion. And uh, in the eight-week course or intensive five-day retreat uh, for mindful self-compassion, uh, there's several dozen techniques designed to bring out self-compassion. And it's offered online and locally uh, in San Francisco. And there are other uh, local uh, uh, venues for that, perhaps in your town as well. So uh, here we have the expanding brain meme. Uh, and so here we are stuck inside with our difficult emotions. Now, mindfulness is the first step. Um, and so that's mindfulness is defined as uh, awareness of present experience with acceptance. Awareness of present experience with acceptance. So that's developing an observer emotion, uh, uh, sorry, an observer awareness of one's inner life uh, to identify the difficult emotion or thought, etc., and not spin out from an emotion into a story, a judgment, a criticism, etc. So just to identify and uh, accept and be aware of, of whatever difficult emotion we're having. And then uh, the second step is uh, common humanity. Uh, and something which we commonly forget uh, when we're suffering is that we, we feel very isolated with our difficult emotion, and we forget that uh, uh, we forget our connections and the fact that other people have also shared these difficult emotions and other people are suffering. So you're just one of uh, humanity uh, and, and you suffer and others suffer as well. So to not become isolated, we cultivate a sense of shared or common humanity. And then finally, we add all the methods of providing self-kindness to ourselves as opposed to self-criticism or judgment. And self-kindness will not make you soft. It actually helps you get up after a fall. You know, the Chinese proverb is fall down nine times, get up ten. And this self-kindness certainly helps you get up those ten times. Um, and uh, uh, again, 
as opposed to self-criticism or self-judgment. Um, and uh, all of these skills are brought out more uh, in more detail in the full course. I'll be introducing in the meditation a mindful self-compassion break, which incorporates all of these. So stay tuned for that. Um, and so what I like to, this is my diagram of the inner life. Um, so you see all these emotions uh, from good emotions like joy or surprise or trust to difficult emotions like uh, shame, fear, hostility, anxiety, awkwardness, disgust and mistrust and so forth. And so those are all things that can bubble around inside. And I, I think that we can add friendliness and compassion and that helps us heal and stay cohesive uh, with our inner lives. And I call friendliness and compassion the umami of the inner life. And you might know that umami is the fifth flavor after sweet, salty, bitter, and sour. There's umami. And umami adds tastiness and deliciousness to food. And uh, I think friendliness and compassion also add, uh, make our inner lives and relatedness more tasty and delicious. So, um, so all of these techniques add umami to our lives. And here I'm going to detail the stages of compassion. Now, this would be compassion for oneself or compassion for others. The first step is a mindfulness step to notice the suffering, then developing a concern or an internal emotional reaction to the suffering, a, a, an emotion of concern and care for the suffering. Then third, to generate the desire to help. And then fourth, actually taking action to relieve the suffering. And that could be an actual concrete physical action of self-soothing or, uh, or helping someone else. It can also be a mental action. So uh, a part of uh, incorporating tools of self-compassion to take inner, uh, to make some inner work uh, on the suffering, um, or even to develop the uh, internal compassionate response to the external suffering. Um, so I like to say it's like being on a train. And so in San Francisco, if any of you have been to San Francisco, there's the BART train line. And coming into San Francisco from the East Bay, um, you might feel like you're on a train and you stop at the Embarcadero, you notice the suffering. Then at the Montgomery Street Station, you develop the concern for the suffering. Then at Powell Street, you, you generate a desire to help. And finally, at Civic Center, where there is City Hall, you get out and you take action to relieve the suffering. So uh, compassion cultivation and mindful self-compassion help you stay on the train to get off to that final destination and to take action to relieve the suffering. So um, this is just a, a, a reminder that, uh, that all of these uh, skills are brought out in uh, intensive and eight week long workshops. And I teach these, I also have lectures on a variety of topics and you can go to sflovedojo.org and you'll get links to all of these, including the online platforms um, for, for, for sharing. So, um, so now I'm going to uh, stop the share. Whoops, um, oh, there we go. And um, yes, yeah, so, uh, so now uh, that's a lot of information, but uh, now for probably about five minutes or so, I want to lead a uh, short guided meditation. So some of you may be unfamiliar with meditation, but, uh, but I'll basically talk you through the steps. 
And um, so just get comfortable, find a comfortable position. And you can keep your eyes open or you can close them or partially close them and just listen to the sound of my voice. And you can keep your hands in your lap or by your side, whatever is comfortable for you. Okay, and just take several deep cleansing breaths. So that's deeply inhale through the nose and then exhale through the mouth. Inhale through the nose and exhale through the mouth. And just do that a few times. And as you exhale, just let go the tensions and worries of the day. And just settle into your natural breathing rhythm. Nice, easy, natural breaths. And if you notice a thought come up, you can just notice it and let it go and return your awareness to your breath. Each time you return your awareness to your breath, it's like coming home. And your breath is always your anchor, always there for you. Allow yourself to be caressed by your breath, following the cycle of your breath. With each breath, just letting go of any tension and relaxing your body, allowing yourself to sink into your chair with total ease. Letting go of thoughts of the past or future, just being here in this moment. where you're safe. Now I want you to call to mind a moment of some mild to moderate distress that you can, uh, ex that you have experienced in the last few weeks or months. And not something too severe, but something mild, like it could be, for example, uh, just the difficulty you might have had uh, signing on to Zoom today, uh, or the anxiety you felt about perhaps being late for this meeting or another meeting. I'm going to walk you through the mindful self-compassion break. I want you to first label the emotion that you feel as you bring to mind that distress. Is it anxiety or irritation, worry, anger, 
So just label that. And the first step of the mindful self-compassion break is just to say to yourself, this is a moment of suffering. That's mindfulness, just noticing. This is a moment of suffering. Or, this sucks, I don't like this. Those are other ways to notice that. This is a moment of suffering. And the second step is suffering is a part of life. I am not alone with this suffering. Others suffer too. That's the common humanity. Suffering is a part of life. And then the third step is to say to yourself, in this moment of suffering, may I at least be kind to myself. In this moment of suffering, may I at least be kind to myself. So I'll say it again. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. In this moment of suffering, may I at least be kind to myself. And just return your awareness to your breath. Just take another deep breath and just let that meditation go. And those three awarenesses are always there for you to return to. And when you're ready, just open your eyes and return to the room. Okay. All right. And I'm going to share my screen again. And now for another 10 minutes or so, I'm going to uh, talk about um, some thoughts on Asian American psychology during COVID-19. And uh, so COVID-19 is affecting everybody from the very youngest uh, they're over on your right who are homeschooling to uh, young, young people who can't graduate from college or attend school um, to other people who are suffering in various other ways, maybe in front of a laptop. So, um, so we have all of these ways of suffering. And so just a quick touch on, um, whoops, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, so, um, and, and so to quickly touch on uh, just you know, the broad reach of Asian American history. I'm not going to go into details, but on the left, you can see uh, the many different ways we uh, we and our ancestors arrived in this country. And 70% of Asian Americans are immigrants or children, uh, children of immigrants. Um, then in red, you see all the ways that we've been uh, uh, harmed uh, uh, in by the legal system and by society. So there are wounds that we carry of colonialism, war, violence, racism, sexism, religious discrimination, and so forth. And I think all these are wounds of relatedness and belonging, acceptance, inclusion, and disempowerment. And in blue, you see all the various acts which is, have come about through a great deal of uh, uh, struggle uh, to finally uh, get us to where we are right now. And uh, jokingly, I like to say, that uh, all of these acts from the uh, uh, from the Immigration Act to the Civil Liberties Act to 
uh, was, uh, was then succeeded by the Crazy Rich Asians Act of 2018, which uh, solved everything, of course. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and also the Farewell Act of 2019. And I'm a big film buff, so, um, so I, I wish they could solve everything, but they don't. And so I'm not going to go into details about uh, Asian American psychology, but uh, just touch on four points. Um, and and uh, that's one uh, that, that we generally tend to be, we have a moderate leaning towards being interdependent or collectivistic. Now, it's a broad generalization, but in general, we can think of ourselves as having a more family and community-centered ego uh, and with attendant conflicts, as opposed to the generally individualistic and even narcissistic uh, framework over recent years, certainly, uh, in the uh, broader American psychology, white, white American psychology. Um, and also there on the right, you can see that we have what's called a context-sensitive self in general, which comes about because of this interdependence. And it's uh, thinking about the self and having a form of identity, conceptualizing our identity as in relationship to others. Um, and sometimes we can be overly context-sensitive, which we can give place too much weight on what others think of ourselves rather than what we think of ourselves. So that's an important uh, area of growth, I think, for many Asian Americans, certainly myself and my patients. Um, we have a heightened need for belonging, I think also stemming from uh, this general tendency towards interdependence. And we also have um, uh, a lot of uh, trauma some, uh, in many, many of our uh, families and cultures, uh, which leads to shame and silence and so forth. Um, and uh, uh, this is an image uh, in the upper left uh, from, from my favorite movie uh, la at last year's uh, Asian American Film Festival. So I hope you'll be able to see that sometime. Um, so, uh, so then this is, again, I'm not going to go into details, but this is how we've thought of Asian American psychology for the last 60 years or so. Stanley Sooth uh, conceptualizing the marginal man uh, who tries to assimilate at any cost, uh, but is uh, disenfranchised from America. Uh, then last year, this book called Racial Melancholia, Racial Dissociation came out, and it basically focused on uh, naming the losses and disconnections that we've experienced because of historical racism and other traumas. Um, and that's the first step towards healing. And um, I think that also it, they also uh, focus on political forms of healing, too, which are are important, um, but I think not not totally inclusive. They don't really talk about mindfulness and compassion and so forth. And I, I uh, describe uh, what's called Asian, what I call Asian American Han, uh, which is what I think is a collective sense within Asian Americans across ethnic groups of a sense of collective suffering, oppression, connection and commonality. Um, so, uh, so I think that's, those are all kind of various ways to think about our, uh, our psychology. Um, so, uh, Jiang Fan, a uh, writer for the New Yorker wrote that she thinks her existence is pretty probational. And so that's something you'll see a lot of Asian Americans talk about is a probational or conditional, uh, belonging, um, that can, you can easily feel very excluded. Uh, Kathy Park Hong, uh, who has a great book, Minor Feelings, that just came out, um, an Asian American reckoning. And she writes in the New York Times, belonging is promised as long as we work harder at being good. So again, a conditional form of belonging. Okay, so racism affects us, of course, as you know, any kind of discrimination 
affects uh, the target. Um, but I think there are specific ways, uh, reasons in our psychology, which which uh, which kind of allow racism to make a, even a bigger impact. Um, so if we did not feel a conditional, if we if we didn't feel conditional belonging or difference due to ethnicity, we certainly do now as we're receiving these racist uh, intimidations and incidents and so forth, even from the presidents. So we can feel that sense of conditional belonging. Um, and belonging matters more to us uh, due to our history and our psychological tendencies, as I said, towards a, a general tendency towards interdependence. Um, and, um, and we have the context-sensitive self. We might get more entangled with what the most hostile others think of us rather than what we think of ourselves. And it's always a balance. It's socially appropriate to, to consider what others think of us and to act in somewhat uh, people-pleasing ways. But if we're overly people-pleasing and overly concerned about what other people think, particularly the hostile critics, the racists, etc., I think it, it pushes us into this state of disconnection. So balancing that out is, is always a, 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 a struggle and, and always a continuous process. And also, given, uh, given the uh, atmosphere, we might feel endangered uh, physically or emotionally. Uh, you know, there have been, you know, physical attacks, which you may have heard about, I'm sure. Um, and all of this lands on and worsens any prior trauma. But this might also be an affirmative moment for individual and communal identity. And Part of this is coming together uh, in through Zoom or in person, uh, and and fortifying our our sense of connection, and it's an opportunity I think to chart a new direction for society, perhaps in the direction of a people and environment environmentally centric world, perhaps towards greater compassion I think as well, and so how to respond, um, you know of course staying safe, uh, I think asserting if you're if you do feel safe and if it's possible. Uh, there are great hollaback uh, trainings by the uh, Asian Americans for Advancing Justice. I, I really recommend attending one of those online webinars. Uh, building your own sense of identity and building community. Uh, many of you may have watched the recent uh, uh, Asian Americans uh, documentary. So these are all ways we can fortify our sense of identity and our own narrative as Asian Americans. And I think also cultivating self and other compassion. Um, this really... Uh, when you do cultivate mindfulness, compassion, and relationship, I think it really transforms the inner life and it puts us in better standing to deal with the insults as they come in and perhaps even change the relationship to uh, oppressors and certainly step out of what I call the victim, victim and oppressor dyad, which is always, you know, it's an al that's always a, uh, a particular struggle. And of course, anger is important in all of this. Anger is a call to action, a call to be heard, and a marker of protective boundaries. But where does anger take us, and how do we generate our own center of balance and well-being? I think that's the, the bigger question. Okay, so I'm going to um, stop the screen sharing now and uh, return us to the group. And then now I'm going to lead another short meditation, and then we'll have time, uh, hopefully, for a breakout or uh, maybe for a question and answer. I don't know how we're going to do this because I don't know how many people will have to leave. Um, but uh, so again, just go ahead and uh, settle in to your position, uh, your comfortable position. 
And again, take some deep inhales and exhales in through the nose and out through the mouth. In through the nose and out through the mouth. And settle into your natural breathing rhythm. As you again just let go of the past and future and just settle here into this moment. I just want you to picture uh, a friend or beloved one that you're very close to, someone who's provided you care and you feel very close to. just want you to allow yourself to fill with all those feelings of tenderness you have towards that person and what you've felt from that person. And just, just allow yourself to feel that kindness and compassion. And just breathe it in. Breathing in love and compassion and breathing out love and compassion. I want you to imagine that you could breathe directly from the center of your chest. And allow your breath to fill your chest. And as you breathe in, the area around your heart might relax. And out. And imagine that you're breathing in and out from your loving heart. And allow that love to fill you. Breathing in tenderness and love, breathing out tenderness and love. It's just easy, just as easy as you notice your breath as you breathe it in is cool and as you breathe it out is warm. It's how you transform your breath and how you transform the world around you with your presence. And just like that, you're breathing in and out of your heart in the center of your chest, transforming yourself and the world with your love and tenderness. And you're transforming yourself. As you breathe in, Imagine that the love and friendliness and tenderness is circulating to every part of your body every time you breathe. Till the compassion fills your chest and your abdomen, your legs, your arms, your head, reaching out all the way to your toes and fingers. And compassion is filling every cell of your body. And 
and you are in your compassion body. And with this compassion body, I want you to, again, call to mind a time of distress. Perhaps it's a time of distress where you felt targeted in some way or, um, or made to feel like you didn't belong. Or some other form of distress. I want you to feel the emotion that you felt at that time and label it. But it's surrounded by the love and compassion that you've generated. And you could be with difficulty with compassion. I want you to explore underneath that difficult emotion with kindness and ask yourself, what need did you have that wasn't being met? What need did you have that wasn't being met? Was it a need for safety, respect, appreciation, Belonging, love. I just want you to name your need. When our needs aren't met, it causes distress. And that's where we need our own kindness and compassion, is to help ourselves when our needs aren't being met. I just want you to hold yourself tenderly and hold that need with tenderness. And just for a moment longer. Now just release that meditation and return your awareness to your breath. Take another deep breath and let go of it. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes and return to the room. Okay. Please reach out if you'd like a presentation for your group or organization, and you can also access videos and podcasts and guided meditations on the website sflovedojo.org. Thank you.